You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word every day, but especially this morning as we study it and as we look into it, we look into it for insight to hear your voice because that's where you speak and to know you. For we should know that you have given to us your word that we might know you, that we might know your son, that we might know your Holy Spirit better so that we can live a life that will be pleasing to you by the empowering of your Holy Spirit. And so ask, we ask this morning as we study your word that you would give us insight, that you would give us obedience, and that you would give us care for one another. And all those things will work together to, to bring the, glo- the gospel to the world, glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, and blessing to the body of Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to f- read 13, or, or chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, from about 12 to the end of the chapter. So if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <laughs> Verse 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less the part, a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less the part, a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, or again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our unseemly members have come to have more abundant seemliness. Whereas our seemly members have no need of it, but, the, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there should be no division in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are Christ's body and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, Are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And my page turned. And I show you still a more excellent way. So Paul is is still, if you will, hammering home to the Corinthians the marvelous diversity of the body 
and yet the individuality of the body. Again, God does not work with collectives. He doesn't save groups. He saves people. He saves individuals. But then those individuals become members of the body of Christ. And as they are directed by the Holy Spirit, working together in unison, in <laughs> collusion, if you will, proper collusion, the, war, the word of God is, is spread abroad in the world and the body of Christ is strengthened and God is glorified. It's only when we begin to um, think we're worth more than we actually are or think we're worth, worth less than we actually are the body begins to run into problems. Now, I'm going to be using a couple of terms, and I want to, I want to kind of define them. There are no second-rate Christians in the body of Christ. There are no people who do more than others, and so they're better. All are precious and beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people may have more responsibility. That does not make them better. It makes them more responsible. Some people may have less responsibility. That does not make them less. It means God designed them to do that. And so as we work through even more of this Corinthian, what I call the Corinthian disarray, we're going to see again and again and again, Paul calls them back to wholeness, to unity, to loving one another, to caring for one another. Because when we begin to focus inward, what a lot of folks call navel-gazing, but that is such a disgusting term. I, it's just when we begin to focus inward, we run into problems. When we begin to focus outward improperly, we run into problems. God is a God of balance. He is a God of purity. He is a God of, of, uh, of care for one another. And so when we see it happening, we need to be about the business of Galatians 6.1, restoring one another and taking very great care lest we be tempted and moved away. So we left off with chapter uh, 12, and I think we were on verse 11 last week last time. Let me see if I can find where we were at. Yeah, we left on verse 12, excuse me, which is where we started today. <clears throat> so verse 13 says this, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. So there's that, that uh, especially in those days, <clears throat> the Jew and the Greek really had it in for each other. And the slave and the free, they really uh, elevated, the free elevated themselves over the slave. Remember that in the, in the Lord's Supper that was dealt with in the last chapter, the rich were getting to the banquets early and eating all the food so that the poor would not have anything to eat. And the poor would have to finish up and the slaves would have to finish up what they were doing and sometimes not make it to the Lord's Supper celebration as early as the, the rich did. And that was, they were not looking out for one another. They were looking out for number one. And it was causing great division in the body. And we'll see that. Paul, Paul actually uses that word. So in verse 13, uh, for <clears throat> by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Uh, Paul emphasizes the unity of the body here again. Note that he says that believers are baptized by the spirit. This is significant because no one is baptized of the Holy Spirit, nor does one receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit. All believers are baptized by the Holy Spirit at salvation, and it is Jesus himself who does that baptism. It is unnecessary to wait for something. The only waiting for the Spirit is in the book of Acts, and it is in the first group who waited because the Holy Spirit had not been given yet. The subs and subsequent to that, every believer is baptized into the body of Christ by Christ, as he gives the Holy Spirit at salvation. 
And the Holy Spirit is given without measure. There are no half-Christians waiting for some subsequent energizing. The concept that one must wait for the Holy Spirit does violence, actually, to the doctrine of salvation. Salvation is a once-for-all process that is provided by a gracious Father to children of disobedience who are regenerated and then in faith trust Christ with a faith that was even given to them by God himself. That salvation is perfect and finished and needs no addition. The evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives is strictly a result of our obedience. Our disobedience quenches the Spirit. Our obedience and reverent love of the Trinity releases the Spirit to work in our lives. And this is not some mystical releasing that emanation or something strange. It is simply the way God works in the life of a Christian. Obedience produces a yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit in one's life. And it starts with the sanctification of the individual believer. There may not be an immediate saving of the world or traveling to other countries. What God does first generally in our lives is to begin to change us from the inside out, from what we were, to begin to emulate the new creature that he has created, to begin to actually look like more and more, slowly but surely, as our life progresses, from sanctification to sanctification, look like the Lord Jesus Christ, as much as fallen humans can. The sanctification of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, is a result of our yielding, which is our obedience. As we obey, the Spirit works in our lives. It is Jesus who baptizes with the Spirit. Those who are elect, and with fire, those who will be sent to eternal damnation. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he was coming after me, this is John the Baptist, speaking, he who's coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire, that baptism of fire. John 1, 33 and 34, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him. This is the one who baptizes with the Holy, in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified, John said, that this is the Son of God. At salvation, every believer receives the Holy Spirit in full measure. Obedience determines whether or not the Holy Spirit will be flowing like a river or dammed up inside. There is no second baptism necessary, and indeed there is none spoken of in Scripture. John chapter 3, verse 34, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit with a measuring cup. No, without measure. He gives the Spirit without measure. When Simon Peter went with the messengers to Joppa to bring the word of God to those who who were asking, they believed, and immediately, it says, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 11, 12 and 18, 12 through 18. The Spirit told me, Peter said, to go with them without misgivings. <clears throat> These, and imagine, he's being sent to Gentiles. This Jew is being sent to Gentiles, and he's like Jonah. He kind of knows what's coming. And he's still trying to like it, I think. But he does what God commands him to do. He said, go 
without misgivings. So he, God knows that this man, Peter, would have had possibly some misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa, and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as, he began to, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, when? After believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I, Peter said, that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down. <laughs> That's instructive too. They calmed down, they quieted down, and they glorified God saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And packaged in that repentance is the baptism that the Holy Spirit comes into your life immediately. You don't, you're not a second-class citizen, a second-class Christian. You are a first-class Christian from the moment of your baptism, from the moment of your salvation. The drinking of one spirit emphasizes the unity that Paul is trying to emphasize especially in this epistle to the Corinthians. It emphasizes the unity of the body just as the baptism into one body emphasizes it. Paul reminds the Jews and the Greeks and the slaves and the freemen that they are all in one body, the body of Christ. The Corinthians were not acting like it. Ron. Correct. Okay, thank you, Ron. So when you go down to the lake and you're baptized, what is that? It's Romans chapter 6. You are identifying publicly, fearlessly, hopefully, or maybe putting aside those misgivings, that you are indeed a child of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have, you have said it. You have believed. You have been regenerated. The baptism, when you go into the water and come back out, doesn't save you. But what it does is it speaks to the world that I have renounced my old life and I have entered a new life willingly because of the regeneration and the work of God, not of any work in my life. And that's what baptism is, the actual baptism. When it's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not talking about going into water or anything. It's simply talking about an immersing. You are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are owned by God, are you not? Lock, stock, and barrel. Sometimes we don't act like it. Sometimes we act like we're trying to climb out of the barrel. But we are owned by God. We have been bought with a great price, the price of the Son of God, the price of His life, of His blood. And in that price is included the uh, escrow payment, the, the down payment, if you will. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives, and He begins to, as we obey, as we yield to Him, become more and more like Christ. So this is emphasized in the free, the, 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 um, the unity the Corinthians were not acting like it. They were flaunting certain gifts. The rich were lording over the poor, and likely those who were free were getting into the face of those who were still slaves. I can just imagine it. Nah, 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 you're still a slave. <laughs> now, we don't say it like that. We say it in adult manner. Well, if you had any sense, you would have already figured out how to become a freeman like I did. That's nah, 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 you're still a slave. And it's just as bad. The fact is, God calls people, and he doesn't call us necessarily out of where we're at in our lives when we become saved. He calls us in that calling. 
Maybe he'll move us on to something new. And those free men should have known better. But they were flaunting their, their, they were flaunting their freedom. So the Corinthians were flaunting certain gifts. Self-aggrandizement always divides the body of Christ. And it was dividing the Corinthians. They were struggling with that. Paul will remind them again and again of that fact, that it's the unity of the body. It's service to one another. I can't emphasize it enough. Whatever gifts we're given, we're called to use those in service, in bending down, in caring for one another, whatever that gift promotes. Since we were all made to drink of one spirit, we are at salvation not only imbued with the spirit of God, but we are instantly incorporated into the one body of Christ. The one body. There's not two bodies. Body with people that have been baptized and the body of people that have been baptized into the spirit. There's one body. The body of people who have trusted Christ and have been regenerated and saved by him. <clears throat> there aren't two bodies. Everyone is equal. The baptism by the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit are instantaneous with salvation. I can't say it enough. You, you don't have to seek something else. You remember that bumper sticker, I found it? Well, that's quite, not quite as theologically accurate. It should have say, actually, I was given it, but nevertheless, we'll, we'll stick with that because the bumper sticker is memorable. You found it all. You found it all instantaneously at salvation. The baptism by the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit are instantaneous. The actual genesis of this idea that there's two things that happen comes from uh, a heretical teaching of the Catholic Church. Baptism confers salvation, is what they believe, and that is done to an infant. Confirmation, sometime around the age of 10 or 12, is what is commonly considered to be the coming of age, confers the Holy Spirit. They call it confirmation. It seems that in the early 1900s, in response to a lethargic church and ineffective people living a listless Christian life, this second blessing began to be something to be bought, sought after that would energize one to live a vibrant Christian life. It was, this thing, it was in the early 1900s that this happened. John MacArthur put it this way. He said, Well-meaning and otherwise sound Christian leaders have caused great confusion, frustration, and disappointment in the lives of many believers by holding out the prospect of a second working of grace, which is called by many names. Time and energy that can be used in simply obeying the Lord and relying on what he has already given is spent striving for that which, he is, which is possessed completely and in abundance. A person cannot enjoy what he has if he is forever seeking a non-existent second blessing. An inadequate doctrine of salvation will always lead to an erroneous doctrine of sanctification. It is an ironic tragedy that those who seek a second blessing of grace cannot enjoy either. They do not enjoy the first blessing, although it is complete, because they are continually seeking the second, which does not exist. When our lives at salvation, we have everything we need to live godly in Christ Jesus. That, this includes the fullness of God spoken of in Ephesians chapter 3. Excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians 3.19. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Our obedience determines how the Spirit works in our lives, the degree to which the Spirit is, is, is working. When our lives do not reflect the full beauty that can exist in the life of a Christian, it has nothing to do with needing a second blessing and everything with, to do with learning to obey, trust, submit, mortify sin. He is fully there, and He can fully enable us to act like it 
act like a Christian. Any questions about that verse? Any additions, suggestions? Thank you for your mention, Ron. Verse 14, 1 Corinthians 12, 14. For the body is not one member, but many. And each Sunday morning at Kootenai Community, we see them walk in that door one by one groups, two by two, three by three. We're one body, but we are composed of many wonderful members. Uh, the minute we begin thinking we are indispensable to the work of God is the moment we become useless for that very work. My boss used to tell me, you know, Razor, the Holy Spirit was doing fine before you came along. He was really gentle with me because <laughs> he knew I didn't need gentleness. I needed to be waked up, wakened up. Well, if it wasn't for me, no, no, the Holy Spirit can do just fine. However, he does want to use you. There's that intimate balance with not thinking too much of yourself, but being used by the Holy Spirit to do the work that he's called you for. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, before the foundation of this world. You have a work you were designed to do, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, the th thank God that, the, that through repentance our usefulness can be restored, but the Corinthians had a double problem. They had members who thought they were indispensable, coupled with other members who agreed with that. Oh yeah, that guy's indispensable. What does that cause? That causes a following, which generally results in a cult. Often results in a cult often results in aberrant behavior by groups of people when they look too much to the individual and not to the Lord himself. And we need to always be about the business of studying and thinking about what our, our teachers and our prophets, and remember I speak the word prophet meaning a forth teller, someone who simply illuminates the word of God, the pre-going things, not someone who predicts the future. That is done for until Revelation, until the book of Revelation explains. So yes, every believer is important to the work of God, but it is just as valuable to remember that God is not hampered by disobedient believers. He is sovereign. He is sovereign over everything. Nothing, there is never in the history of the universe been a time when there was sweat on God's upper lip. What am I going to do now? Never. He never has a problem with disobedient believers. Don't let that be an excuse to disobey, though. Disobedience can take num numerous forms. It can take many forms, including self-exaltation. If that one member thinks that he is the most important, the best, the most useful, he has begun walking down a path of insignificance and uselessness and possibly, and I forgot to put this in here, the destruction of other lives. That lest, he think too, lest he think too much of himself. Humility and a desire to serve are what members of the body of Christ most need. A further problem could be all the members of the body trying to have the same use, the same personality, the same actions, the same gift. The body is diverse, and to focus on one member is to miss the beauty of that diversity. Proper, this word is so overused today, but in the Christian church it has an appropriate use. There are a diversity of believers. Not, I'm not talking about race or age. I'm talking about the giftedness and the, the blessedness that God places on individual lives because he doesn't work corporately he works individually. <clears throat> the word many comes from the Greek word from where we get part of the word metropolis. It is polis and refers to the idea of many, much, or large. It focuses on the idea of many in number and doubly emphasizes the quantity involved. The inward focus of the Corinthians was preventing them from seeing this. 
a body of believers truly in service to the Lord will be grateful for everyone in the body, truly grateful. They will recognize that everyone has an important part to play in the work that God has for the church in the world. And it struck me as I was studying this section of Corinthians that there are many in this body who go unnoticed. And I think many of them want it that way. And I was trying to figure out a way to, to recognize some of them. And the Lord, through His Word, indicates that, you know, He has gifted many of you here to do the things that cause this ministry to move forward. Everybody thinks that the people up front are the big guys. That's just not true. It is not true. There are people in this body, and I, I won't name any, but the people who are doing the behind-the-scenes work, they are the backbone, they're the lungs, they are the, the infrastructure, I guess I would say, upon which the body of Christ works in, at Kootenai Community. And we, the elders, are grateful for you. Just, you know who you are. And it just is an amazing thing that, that uh, you have made this work possible. And we are so grateful. You've freed up people to do the things that God has called them to do. Everyone, everyone has an important part to play in the work that God has for the church and the world. For the body is not one member, but many. Polis, great, large, huge. And it's not just Kootenai, lest we do the navel-gazing here. It's the church at large in the world that is at work bringing the gospel to the world, building up believers, giving glory to the Father of lights. Any questions or comments about verse 14? Verse 15, if the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Hands do not do footwork very well, nor do feet do handwork. It's important to recognize our purpose and our giftedness so that we can be most effectiveness in church and in life, in the body and in our lives. To be unhappy with your personality and giftedness is to reject what God has made. There is no part of the body, no part of the body of Christ that is not incredibly important. And all are doing the work of Christ in the world. All are doing the work of Christ in the world. Whether you're up front or behind the scenes, all are doing the work of Christ in the world. All are equally important, Paul will say later on. Um, any, any questions about that verse, 15? Some of these verses seem to, at least to me, seem to kind of scoot right along. Verse 16, and if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. Paul continues his metaphor using the body, but it is important to remember that while the church today uses this picturesque idea to inform us of the need for unity, Paul was actually praising the diversity that Christ had at his disposal to carry the gospel into the world. Imagine if Christ only had one tool. Now, we have to anthropomorphize this to an extreme extent because God is sovereign and that's not going to happen. But pretend he's only got a hammer. Everything better be a nail or it ain't going to get fixed. But God has a diversity of tools at his disposal in the church to carry on the work. In verse 15, he starts with mobility, very needed. Then in verse 16, he talks about the ability to perceive the world. There are, all, all, there are five senses, and all of them are important, especially in their own way. Verse 17, moving a little bit quickly. If the whole world, excuse me, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Hearing be. If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Continuing with the perception and the senses, Paul instructs the Corinthians to give value to every 
necessary part of the body, both the body itself and the body of Christ. The eye cannot hear and the ear cannot see. Neither of them can smell and the nose cannot see nor hear. Contentment again is the key here. Yesterday, I was in my bedroom working on door frames and my son came in the room and he goes, I smell something burning. Well, now all my kids know that 98% of my olfactory system went south years ago um, because I, I thought I was indestructible, you know. And so I was amongst smells that destroy your nose and I was... At any rate, long story short, I was dumber in a post. And I didn't smell anything. And so we went outside, and, and we never did figure out what it was. But uh, what, if, what if that nose hadn't come along and there was a fire in the wall? I had never known it until it was too late. So Paul is hammering on this diversity. Every part of the body is important. Verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Remember the sovereignty of God? This is one of the acts of the sovereign God of the universe. He created the diversity and then he places us in a body of Christ, in a local body. Just as salvation was a sovereign choice of God for those who are the elect, so he chooses carefully each person's giftedness. And you know that stupid joke where God was handing out stuff and you were standing behind the door and you thought he said brains and it was, blah, you know, the dumb. Uh, it's funny, but, but it, it kind of distorts if we don't pay attention, it, it, it wasn't like that at all. He carefully, thoughtfully, as much as the sovereign God of the universe needed to, placed within you the giftedness that would just be perfect for you. Perfect. And as you yield and obey to the Holy, and yield and yield to and obey the Holy Spirit, that giftedness can be used to flower, bring you great satisfaction, bring glory to the body, to the to the Father and bring blessedness to the body of Christ. Still dealing probably with the discontentedness of the Corinthians with their own gifts, the discontentedness of the Corinthians with their own gifts, Paul reminds them it is God's work, sovereignly completed in them as they live their lives. And they are working out the plan of God in that he has given them work to do from long before the foundation of the universe. He has gifted them to do that work and they need to be about that business. He has gifted you to do a sovereign work, a blessed work, an important work, and you need to be about that business of doing that work. Verse 19, and then we'll see if there's any questions about all of these. If they were all one member, where would the body be? A church full of hands. The chairs would never get put up. We could lift them, but how would we walk to the pile? I know that seems kind of silly, but that's kind of what Paul's getting at. If every part of the body was the same, then in fact there would be nobody but simply one member. This would necessarily mean that much of what a body would accomplish will never be, most, I should say, of what a body would have accomplished will never be accomplished. If someone is sitting in a body somewhere wondering why thus and such isn't done, maybe it is God calling them to that work. Why aren't they doing this? This church should be doing that. Possibly that's God calling you to that work. Maybe he has gifted them or you specifically for that purpose. And that itch that they will have can only be scratched when they get busy. It is important not to envy someone else's giftedness or abilities because the Father of Light sends down only good gifts. And there is no shadow of turning in him. There's no shadows in those gifts. They are perfect and delightful and wondrous. He didn't miss someone. He didn't forget to gift someone. He didn't make a hand accidentally into an eye. The Corinthians were focusing on the showy gifts, thinking that there was, this was all that was needed. All we need is the guys up front. 
All we need is the tongues. And actually, that was the one that was causing the most problem in the entire church. The one that Paul consistently puts at the end of the list is the one that had been lifted into prominence and was causing the schism, the, dis- the division. If, it was that, if that was all that was needed, that's all God would have done. The showy gifts, unfortunately, shadow those less showy. And if those who are thus gifted are, or self-important, many in the church can be cowed into doing nothing. A body of believers with a vibrant spiritual life will be a body of believers that is exercising all the gifts that God has left, that is so- God has sovereignly placed in that church body. Any questions about those verses, comments? Verse 20. But now, there are many members but one body. And now here Paul turns toward unity. Yes, there are many members, and yes, each member has his giftedness, and yes, his giftedness is of paramount importance in the work of the church, but we are all part of the one body of Christ, the local one body and the national one body and the global one body, if you will, the one body of Christ. 21, verse 21, And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No part of the body can look at another part of the body and say, I don't need you. Whatever we, whether we say it with our words or our actions, it causes great harm both to the individual we have disrespected and to the body of Christ itself. We need one another. We need to love one another. We need to help one another. Barclay put it this way. He says, so Paul draws a picture of the unity which should exist inside the church if it is to fulfill its proper function. A body is healthy and efficient only when each part is functioning health perfectly. The parts of the body are not jealous of each other and do not covet each other's functions. From Paul's picture, we see certain things which ought to exist in the church, the body of Christ. Number one, we ought to realize that we need each other. There can be no such thing as isolation in the church. Far too often, people in the church become so engrossed in the bit of the work that they are doing and so convinced of its supreme importance that they neglect or even criticize others who have chosen to do other work. If the church is to be a healthy body, we need the work that everyone can do. Number two, we ought to respect each other. In the body, there is no question of relative importances. If any limb or organ ceases to function, the whole body is thrown out of gear. It is so with the church. All service ranks the same with God. Whenever we begin, did you get that? All service ranks the same with God. Your service ranks the same with the evangelist who is speaking to dozens, a good evangelist. There aren't many of them, but there are some. All service ranks the same with God. Whenever we begin to think about our own importance in the Christian church, the possibility of really Christian work is gone. Number three, we ought to sympathize with each other. If any one part of the body is affected, All the others suffer in sympathy because they cannot help it. The church is a whole. The person who cannot see beyond his or her own organization, the person who cannot see beyond his or or her congregation, worse still, the person who cannot see beyond his or her own family circle has not even begun to grasp the real unity of the church. We are a body of blessed believers in service to the world, in service to our local community, but first in service to one another. Do all the good you can, but first unto the body of Christ. Any comments about that verse, 21? 22, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker 
are necessary. Paul continues his defense of what the Corinthians consider the less important gifts. He is stressing the idea of oneness in Christ because the Corinthians are so divided, suing one another over petty issues, violating the idea of the, violating the Lord's Supper, especially those rich people coming early and eating the food before the poor people had a chance to even arrive, among other things. In this particular case, it is his choice of words to describe those particular gifts which are comparatively unshowy as necessary. Note in the definition that one of the meanings of the word necessary is indispensable. What one cannot do without. The less showy gifts, these are the gifts that Paul says you can't do without them. The tongues of speakers and the more the tongue speakers and the more showy Christians of Corinth in Corinth were certain that they were indispensable. Paul says that those who were given the less showy gifts are in fact indispensable. It is these indispensable Christians that often do not get involved in ministry. There are many reasons for that, but the two most likely are those with the showy gifts think they don't need anyone else. They think that their work in the church is all that is necessary, and they're doing the Lord's work, and they're doing a great job. Thank you very much. Pat me on the back as we leave today. Please pat them on the back. That's what they're saying. The second reason is that often because of that attitude of those with the more showy gifts, those with the indispensable but less showy gifts feel that they are unneeded, and so they just sit back. Often those folks are not the extroverts. They're not the backslappers. They're not the handshaking kind. <clears throat> the ministry of the church of God would be immeasurably increased if those two attitudes can change. As important as the prominent members of the church are, they are not absolutely necessary any more than any of the other gifts. Those behind the scenes who serve, organize, pray, and are dedicated to the promulgation of the gospel by those with the showy gifts, they cannot be done without. Cannot do without. Indispensable. And notice, too, one of the aspects of it. They're connected by bonds of nature or friendship. They cannot be done without. You can lose a leg or an arm, it is an and it is a terrible thing, but you can continue. But you cannot live without a liver or lungs. <laughs> so now I'm calling those with the less show. You guys are lungs. You know, forget the, 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 meth, uh, the symbolism. The fact is, there are less showy members, and they cannot be done without, the Scripture says, Paul says. This is the analogy Paul is using with the body. The hidden, less comely parts of the body are the ones that are truly indispensable. The church should both protect and be obviously and boldly grateful for those behind the scenes who are in fact the infrastructure, if you will, upon which the showy gifts are built. It is those gifts that create the ability for the showy gifts to function. And we are all needed, every one of us. Any questions about that? We're going to finish up here with verse 23. Four, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. This verse is, certainly, is most certainly talking about clothing the upper body. The Greek verb refers to wrapping around, and it alludes to the idea of covering those parts of our body which are not presentable. Modesty requires this, as does the protection of those who would be terrified from seeing certain things. It is my contention that spandex has not really been a good gift to mankind. But by protecting and covering in this analogy the less necessarily visible portions of the body, we give them more honor. 
They don't necessarily want to be seen or heard about, but we give them more honor in doing this. It is the same or should be the same with this analogy extending to the body of Christ. Those who have positions of prominence should extend love, consideration, gratitude, and care to those who seem to have positions of, of less showiness because, in fact, their positions are more honorable. This is not alluding to some kind of idea of pushing them into the background as a covering, but rather presenting them properly. In the Corinthian church, those with the showy gifts were doing the opposite. Paul is correcting the Corinthian disarray. The Corinthians were featuring the tongue speakers, the loud showy gifts. They were not recognizing that those who prepared the meals, those who took care of the sick, those who taught the children, those who did the background things, were indispensable. They were indispensable. The hidden, less comely parts of the body are often those that are truly indispensable. The church should recognize those. They were taking the credit and indulging in vain glory. If the only people in your church who ever get any notice are the prominent ones, your church is missing the boat. And so, as I started out this morning, kind of a little ways into it, there are many in this body who go unnoticed who go on, I don't know what the next word was. I've got a suffix, a prefix, I mean, but I haven't got the word. Know that you are loved. Know that you are every bit as important and indispensable to the work of God because he has put you where you are needed. He has put you where you have the most wonderful effect for the body of Christ and for the Trinity, for the blessing of the people of God and for the work that goes out into the world and promulgates the gospel, gives glory to the Father and blesses the body of Christ. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary and those members of the body which we deem less honorable on these we bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Thank you for what you do. All the elders are appreciative, grateful, and... Uh, what a wonderful thing God has done to gift every member of the body with just what it is that will render them the most effective in the great sovereign, I, I hesitate to use the word scheme, but another word doesn't come to mind, plan, the great sovereign plan that God has for giving glory to his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all the giftedness of the body. Thank you that you care about every single person in the body equally. Thank you that you have made many of us, many of those in this body, indispensable. Thank you for the work they do. Lord, we just, we don't want to say to the, to the hand, we don't need you. We don't want to say to the foot, we don't need you. We want to say to every part of this body, you are loved and blessed and needed. And we are grateful that you, in your sovereign work, have worked it thus, that the body should love one another, should serve one another, should care for one another, and should glorify God in that way. And, and it was Jesus himself that said, oh, look how they love one another. That's what the world will really notice. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting kootenaichurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.